Netherlands 3, USA 1. Everyone, welcome to It's Called Soccer. I'm your host, Jake, joined by my co-host, Tom. Before we get started on this show, the U.S. is knocked out of the World Cup now, but first, I just want to thank all the fans, the viewers, the listeners for making this an amazing World Cup so far for all of us that love this team and and love this country to, to follow soccer with. The community has grown. The podcast has consistently been in the top 50 soccer podcasts in the U.S., and most importantly, it's been fun. So if you've enjoyed the coverage, if you are encouraged to keep following this team, I hope you make this the home for your U.S. soccer coverage going forward. It may be the end of the U.S.'s run at this World Cup, but things are absolutely not over for us. Uh, We have the Women's World Cup next year. We have the U-17 and U-20 World Cups next year. We have youth tournaments. We have Gold Cups. And in 2026, in three and a half years' time, the U.S. will host the World Cup with a team like this in their prime that is just as likable as the one that we just watched today. So subscribe to the channel, leave an alert on, leave a review on the podcast, and we just appreciate all of you who have joined us, whether you're new or whether you're an old fan, we appreciate it. So with that, uh, Netherlands 3, US 1, Tom, how are you doing, man? How are you feeling now that we've had a few hours to digest this game? I'm I'm feeling pretty good. Um, I feel like it wasn't our best game we've ever played, but you know, we played very well to get out of the group. This is a young group. We played our game. We took shots. We forced the issue once we were down. And I think you can just hold your head up high and say, "We'll get them next time." Yeah. Some solace that I take from this match is just how clinical. The Dutch were. Um, they kind of showed us in a way what we can look forward to. And they were not too proud to defend for long stretches of time. They were not too proud to think that the U.S. was dangerous and could hurt them. And I was impressed by that. I feel like a lot of the teams in the group stage, especially Wales and the English team, really took for granted how good this team was. And you could tell that the another. The Netherlands team, including the coach down to the players, respected this U.S. team, and they brought a great game plan. They were clinical with their chances, which were few and far between, but good chances nonetheless. And I just have to hand it to the Dutch as well that for, for as good as we've been in the group stage, this Netherlands team showed us kind of what what it takes to be at the elite level that we are not quite at yet. But we did make a game of it. It was a close game as well. Um, Tom, maybe let's start with some good things. What what went right in this match? What went right? I think we can take solace in the fact that Matt Turner had a very good game. I think we can take solace in a good game from Christian Pulisic and some impressive substitution performances. I think we'll get into the midfield. We'll talk about our wing backs here, um, where I think we struggled a little bit, but. I think that seeing our wingers play pretty well and seeing Matt Turner continue to be impressive is a good thing to take away. Yeah. And what did you make of the starting 11? So we switched Walker Zimmerman back in for Cameron Carter Vickers and Josh Sargent wasn't able to go, unfortunately, in this game. And we went with Jesus Ferreira, who got his first minutes for this U.S. team over Haji Wright, who came in in that second half. What did you make of the starting 11? 
Basketball is back and Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, golf, and obviously the best sport in the world, soccer. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Please gamble responsibly. I think it was pretty solid starting 11. You know, Jesus Ferreira was not the name I don't think a lot of people wanted to see. He hadn't been, he hadn't appeared in this tournament so far. So I think it was good to give him a run out given the options we had available and this type of game could have set up well for him. But it was pretty clear early on that it just wasn't the game for him. You know, there's a thought that if you can drop deep and combine, you may be able to spring Pulisic and Weah in behind Virgil van Dijk and Nathan Ake. But once we, it was clear we weren't going to do that, then he's just physically outmatched against two much bigger, stronger, taller people. And that was a little rough to watch. Yeah, the Dutch completely clogged the middle, the middle of the field. Jesus Ferreira had no room to get touches. And when he did, they weren't necessarily good touches. I think early on, our morale across the board was pretty low from the Pulisic miss early on to Jesus Ferreira's touches, just giving the ball back to the Dutch in dangerous areas. Um, those that's kind of my run into what went wrong. Um, there were this game was one of those matches where a lot of little things didn't go our way, and a lot of little things went the Dutch's way. And I feel like that was the culmination of the scoreline 3 1. Is this was not a blowout by any means, this was a close match. That if Pulisic puts that away, and if we don't have tired legs with Tyler Adams missing a runner. If we don't have Serginho Dest, who has been playing lights out, who we were hoping and expecting to have one of his best performances against the team that he was eligible for outside of the U.S. in the Netherlands, he missed a mark. Um, we left another player completely open on the back post on their third goal as well. So it was just these, these things that were moments that didn't go right for the U.S., that really led to us losing. That's kind of my perspective, but is that where you're at, Tom? Is that kind of the the solace that you take from this? Yeah, I, I sort of watched this match and see a team that was just physically not up for a 90-minute game. That's really all I can say about it. You just saw a midfield who was hurt, who was lagging. You saw players who had a lot of miles under their legs. You can't look at that game and tell me Anthony Robinson was playing at 100% or Serginho Dest was playing at 100%. Tyler Adams looked like he had run a marathon. Um, Wes McKenney looked slow. Eunice Musa clearly gave everything he had to the Iran game and just was, looked not sharp. So when you take into the fact that our wingbacks and our midfield are so crucial to our system having coming off and working, and those were the players who had the most miles in their legs, we were just in for a really rough day. Yeah. And we said at the start of this tournament that it's not a starting 11 that wins you the World Cup. It's a 26 roster top to bottom that can get you a world cup trophy. And I think that kind of bit us in the end those players that were so integral to our group stage matches and being undefeated, only giving up one goal from the uh, zero goals from the run of play one goal total 
out of those three games, those were kind of Serginio Dest and Tyler Adams were the players that you might point to to say we're at fault for those goals. And it hurts because I love Tyler Adams, not just because of the performances that he had put in in the group stage, but the fact that he's been like this this player that we know can play like he did in those 270 minutes, but missing your mark on that first goal and then having Daly Blinn score that second one right before the half crushed us. If we had gone into the half down one and we were able to recover, put Gio Reyna in, we'll talk about the subs shortly, but that would have been a totally different game as well. Um, what does our depth look like right now and how will that evolve and change going into 2026? I mean, I think that our depth is really good. I think that, or <laughs> depth is really good looking forward. I will say that that way, because clearly our depth is horrible in this World Cup, and that I think is our big problem right now. But there's a million, like I call, lottery picks that are just waiting in the wings, who are developing MLS, who are playing for the U.S. youth teams right now. And we have a chance to get those guys into top five leagues, into Europe, and really see if we can't get something from them. There's players like Gianluca Busio who are already there and have a t- chance to really break out over the next few years. Tanner Testman might be in that category as well. Players like Jonathan Gomez could still commit to the United States as well. Valerian Balogun seems to be leading that way. He's another sort of youth prospect that is on the cusp. For me right now, I look at this roster and say the midfield is really weak. And you can say a lot about our midfield. The MMA are great. But once you get past that first three names... It drops off a lot. Kellen Acosta clearly not able to do the job of any of those three. Luca Delatore was hurt. Even then, he's not really playing a lot for his club and has been really shaky for the U.S. since about June. So he wasn't really a reliable option, even if he was healthy. From there, you're going down to Christian Roldan. There's just not a lot of names in our midfield hat right now. Even if you look outside the roster, Cole Bassett, who just got dropped from his European club, Maybe Malik Tillman or Georgie Mihailovic, but they're more of wingers. Tanner Tessman, Gianluca Busio, Johnny Cardoso, but he's looking at a move right now from Brazil. I don't know. I just, I feel like that's the area where I want to see the most development and see the most improvement in our pool. We have a lot of talented midfield prospects, but a couple of them have to hit. Yeah. And we didn't necessarily use a Gio Reyna as a number eight in this match or throughout the tournament. So that would have been the other name that you could consider in that group. Yeah. And even if we had, I just don't know that he fits the Burhalter way of playing an eight. I just don't know that he would have been up for that dog fight that that midfield actually puts the shift that they put in every single time they touch the field for us. Yeah. And so JTEX here is talking about on any given day, it's difficult to beat the Netherlands, even with a, be- a perfect bench or better coaching, it would still have been a tough win. I think for me, what hurts, and again, the overall perspective that I'm taking away from today is kind of this, this was the level, like this was the round of the World Cup where this talented team sh- probably should have been. We should have expected to make it out of the group, but anything after that would have been gravy on top. Yeah. I think round of 16 is a fair kind of end result. Although we know that this was a winnable game. We know going into 2026, we could have played Messi in a quarterfinal. All of that kind of makes it hurt a little bit more. But I think, again, what I'm taking away from this is just how good Netherlands was today. And for how good we have been in those three group stage matches, we did not match our our level that we had seen throughout those matches. And for that to happen on the same day where many other things did not go our way, 
I am still finding it hard. I know like Greg did not get everything right. Don't get me wrong. I disagree with the Jesus Ferreira pick. I disagree with the Walker Zimmerman pick, but at the same time, there are a lot of things that happened on the pitch, which Greg did not have any consideration or control yeah. over that should have gone our way or would have on a different day. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, Greg Berhalter is not at fault for Tyler Adams, not tracking a runner or for each of two of the three goals coming from our fullbacks falling asleep on crosses. Like that's, that's just not something you expect to happen. Even if you set the system up perfectly, I think, to me, for me, what I'm taking away is, yes, a testament to how good the Dutch were. They were ruthless and clinical when they choose to, chose to go forward. Um, but a testament to how the group stages played out. You know, you see the Netherlands sleepwalking through a game against Qatar. You see the Netherlands picking their spots and taking one or two chances and then sort of bunkering and passing the ball around against both Ecuador and Senegal. You see the U.S., on the other hand, running marathons and sprinting all over the field to try and win the ball back at their manic press system. And then not really having the substitutes to really change things out. We were ha- running out of gas by the 65th minute and having to make substitute substitutions to be- become more defensive. We clearly only trusted about 15 people to get the job done in this world cup. Whereas the Dutch, they subbed on people like Bergwijn at halftime and were completely fine to keep playing their system. They're just a, such a talented team. They, clearly had a little bit easier of an approach physically to their group stage games, whereas ours were a lot more demanding with a much smaller roster available to us. And that played out. But you have to still give credit to the Netherlands. They have not lost a competitive match since the knockout round of Euro 2021. (laughs) They're really, really good side, and they're probably a contender to win it, even the way the bracket shapes up. I know that the FIFA rankings have them as number eight and they were in pot two when the teams were chosen for the world cup, but the ELO ratings, which we all know are maybe a little bit closer to the actual rankings and considerations for each teams currently has the Netherlands as the third best team in the world. So I think we can take some cons- consolidation, like consolation I'm looking for <laughs> some consolation that this was a great team, but I, Again, like, you know that it was there for the U.S. and we were, we were so close. Um, what are some things that hurt us, some things that bit us in the end? I mean, I think, are you talking about the Dutch system today or tactically? Or are you talking Could be more anything. About, like... like, I even think, yeah, the fact that Steven Bergwijn could come in at halftime. Yeah. Um, the fact that Louis van Gaal as well made two substitutes at 45 minutes to keep his team fresh. Like, they were... As much as we put them under pressure and as many good chances that we had, it didn't look like they had ever needed more than 70% to to really get out of that game. And that hurts a little bit because we were bringing the energy, we were bringing passion, we were bringing aggressiveness, but the Dutch were kind of just like soaking it in like a sponge and and breaking out to get those goals. I mean, I think that one thing that went wrong for us is just being a young team. Um, Daily Blind scores his third goal in 96 caps. We don't have anyone in our pool with 96 caps right now. Um, that's just hard to overcome. Virgil van Dyke has been an anchor back there for years. There's just some sort of experience and familiarity that's hard to overcome. They've been in these situations before. They know once they get that early goal, okay, it's time to sort of close up shop and just see this thing out. Whereas we just don't really have that. This is a young team playing in their first tournament right now. That's that's. There's going to be a learning curve there that's, going to be a little bit difficult to overcome another thing that i think was to our disadvantage 
was just the amount of mileage on our legs, which is something you can't control. We had run 38 kilometers more as a team than them. That translates to about two kilometers or over a mile and a half per game for the United States on average per player, more on the legs than the Dutch team. And that's with Weston McKinney coming in a little bit banged up. That's with Sergio Dest coming in a little bit banged up. That's with Christian Pulisic taking an injury in the last game. That's just, that's not a recipe for success. Yeah. So what adjustments then could we have made to break them down a little bit better? I think that I, I pace of play is probably my best guess i kept screaming just go faster go faster try and get balls in behind test the test them vertically see if we can't maybe slip way in behind and then try and work it from there see if we can't you know spring some sort of counterattack. it just seemed like we were just moving the ball methodically side to side a little bit too slowly letting ourselves get trapped in the corners and just play these little triangle games that they were just happy for us to play um i think that's really the only way you're going to get through a team who's playing like that but then again, our legs were not really there for that. Additionally, it might have been better to play the wingbacks a little bit lower. We definitely pushed them a little bit higher up the field than we have in the other few games. Um, Dest was playing way higher than he normally has been as sort of a right center back in possession. And that kind of hurt us a little bit. They found a lot of joy in just sort of filling the space that our wingbacks had vacated. And that was yeah. that was a little bit difficult to overcome. Additionally... I don't know how you deal with the sort of midfield pressure they were putting on us, but um, I don't think there were enough people tracking back to the ball in the midfield to let us combine. The Dutch were doing a really good job of squeezing that space, and you have to give Van Gaal a lot of praise for his tactics because he basically took the film from the Switzerland game last year and the film from the Japan game a few months ago and smashed them together and combined them for perfect tactics. But we still have to figure out a way to get around that. Yeah, and the Dutch goals... All three of them were essentially the same exact goal. Um, yeah. Two from the right from Dumfries, and then Dumfries scored his own. But they were all crosses to unmarked players in the box, and that is just going to kill you all day. Um, while you were talking there, I was kind of like thinking about this game. Did it feel like one of those matches where it was in a way CONCACAF team that like kind of played the perfect game plan against us, except this time it was an elite European competition? A little bit. I mean, they didn't do as much time wasting as you would expect, you know, an away CONCACAF team to do. But yeah, it's very similar to a goal, a game against a Honduras or a Panama once they get a, get a goal. They're just sort of content to close up shop and say, all right, break us down. Except for it's far easier to break down Honduras or Panama than it is to break down a Dutch team at the World Cup, even taking into account all the crazy CONCACAF stuff. <laughs> a a defensive line of Ajax, Liverpool, and Manchester City is always going to be difficult to break down. Um, Tom, then, so what then could Greg have done differently during the game to change the tactical battle in our favor? I mean, I think maybe drop the fullbacks back a little bit and try and give yourself a few more options in possession. Um May I think he did a good job of taking off Ferreira once he realized that wasn't working. I don't know. Maybe do you make a substitution? Do you try and adjust to sort of more of a triple pivot than the traditional 4-3-3 that we were playing? I, I feel like you have to somehow change up the midfield situation, and I'm not sure that I have yeah. the tactical know-how to do that. <laughs> I mean, on one on one hand, they were just excellent. Like, 
Every Ooh. time we tried to go through the middle, they completely clogged it. They, they're also not afraid to put a, one of their center backs into the midfield to put more numbers there. They know that as they go for kind of their formation is a three, four, one, two, they're not really afraid to insert Nathan Ake or Virgil van Dyke into the midfield to give them numbers there. And to think how deadly they were on counterattacks, I think we needed to be a little bit more conscious of when we made our runs upfield, especially for how many minutes Serginho Dest and Antti Robinson had under their legs. But I don't know. Like for me, I was asking at 30 minutes to put Gio Reyna in for Jesus Ferrer. Like it was very clear that this was not working and all we were trying to do is get to halftime with the score the same and then figure it out. But Jesus Ferreira, like I'm a fan of his. I hope he continues to do well in MLS. We can talk about who wasn't at the world cup another time, but whether it was Jordan P. Fock, Ricardo Pepe or Jesus Ferreira, I think all of them probably would have struggled a little bit today. Um, in the second half, Haji Wright, like, Again, he did missing. score. He did score. He scored on probably the worst chance he could have possibly had, um, and was did not Josh score Sargent on the best levels chance. Of lucky. Yes, but it, hey, sometimes you need that luck. And at two one, like with twenty minutes left, fifteen minutes left, you start to believe, and the team gives you hope. Um, one thing that I also want to go the ahead. problem with the striker situation is once Josh Sargent goes down, he's probably the best at doing the, you know. The, the Greg Berhalter possession striker stuff, as well as being the hold-up big bruiser, bruiser physical type striker that we have in the pool. Once he's down, is there a player who can actually physically hang with the back line of the Netherlands? Pepe's yeah. not going to change that. He's going to get blown off the ball. Pifak can't hold the ball up. He's not going to be able to do much to help you build possession. Brandon Vasquez, maybe, but beyond that, I just don't think that we actually have a striker in the pool who is capable of doing the Josh Sargent thing in that game. Yeah. And especially thinking back to that Iran match, Josh Sargent was so good in hold up play. He was so good at just bringing the team along with him into that final third, holding one or two defenders on his back. And we didn't have that at all today, but to be fair to Jesus Ferreira too, the game plan was not to do that for him. The game plan was for him to get into the midfield and open up space but because Netherlands could bring a center back with him and still have four in the back there just wasn't space to exploit and that was really difficult for us I think but um let's let's look forward a little bit um did they meet your expectations in this world cup and how good do you think we can become over the next decade the expectations I think were met so we've been talking about this a lot over the last few weeks for me personally, the trauma of 2018 was so great that what I wanted to see was us get back to our normal standards, be able to get out of the group. And we did that. We met that expectation. You know, it would have been nice to make a run, but I think a run would have been ahead of schedule for this group. So for me, at least, I think that we met the expectations. We sort of erased the trauma. We proved that we are back. We have arrived again on the world stage. But I think we can be better over the next decade. You just look at all the talent we are producing. We're shipping 10 or 15 players to Europe every single transfer window. <laughs> Sometimes, eventually, though, some of those are going to hit, and you're going to have a really good core of players. So I think 
the sky is the limit and it all really comes down to how our talent develops in the next 10 years. The core is going to be great. Every lineup that we trotted out is eligible for the Olympics, which is a U23 youth tournament with a couple older players. That's crazy. That's such a young lineup to be throwing out at a World Cup. You add in a couple more years of age and experience, maybe a Copa America, maybe an Asian championship, for certain a couple gold cups and nations leagues, and this team will be, you know, a lot more physically uh, demand, physically difficult to play against and a lot more experienced and ready for these big moments. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe let's turn our attention to what Louis van Gaal, the Netherlands coach, said after the match. Um, one of his comments was specifically about Greg's tactics that, or tactically how the U.S. was playing. Uh, Louis van Gaal said this, the U.S. men's national team didn't adapt, they didn't adjust, and we made our tactical plan based on targeting the flanks. You could see how well that worked as well. Um, was Greg too slow to his changes, do you think, or was this just a perfect plan from the Netherlands and perfectly executed? I tend to think that the first half, at least, was perfectly executed. I'm not really sure that once you get to halftime that, you know, you can really blame Burhalter because game state is what game state is, and you're down two goals and you need to just throw the kitchen sink at it. So at that point, we're just pouring numbers on and trying to get forward. Um, you could maybe make a tactical adjustment in the first half, but once you give up that early goal on their first chance it's really difficult. The tactics kind of go out the window. You're not really playing with your initial game plan anymore. And, you know, frankly, Burhalter definitely still has some work to go in his, to do and under improving his in-game tactics. So yeah, that's a learning experience for us. So I will say throughout the group stage, something I was continually hearing in international coverage, not U.S. soccer coverage specifically, was that the U.S. was one of the most tactically interesting teams to watch at the World Cup. And every international outlet was giving tons of props to Greg Berhalter and this U.S. team. If Greg leaves tomorrow, what is his legacy? You got to think his legacy is pretty good, right? I mean, there have been discussions about this at length in various U.S. soccer areas. There are going to be those who are going to say he was awful and this was a wasted four years. But I think... His legacy is going to be pretty good. I, I I don't know if you would agree, but like, let's just look at it. He has beaten Mexico three different times since 2021 and is undefeated against them since 2021 starts. He has won the CONCACAF Nations League. He has won the Gold Cup. He has qualified for the World Cup. He has drawn an England team that's top five in the world, and he has made it out of the group stage at a World Cup. He's also recruited some very impressive dual nationals that were among our best players at this World Cup, such as Serginho Dest and Eunice Musa, and possibly Falaren Balogun is going to commit here in the next few weeks. So you can't look at where we were at in 2018 and the youth revolution that we've had since then being led by Greg Berhalter and say that his tournament was a failure, right? I mean, what, what are your thoughts? I feel like, so before the World Cup started, I was completely in the camp of he his legacy will live and die with how we do at the World Cup. And essentially, now that we're here, he has met my expectations, but not exceeded them for the World mm -hmm. Cup. And that's kind of what mattered. But when I do take that step back and look at everything else that has happened and kind of the core of our players that are going to be our best players in the future... 
I think about Anthony Robinson, who didn't really have a chance with England, but the U.S. brought him in with open arms and he wants to play for the U.S. and is proud to play for the U.S. I think about Serginho Dest, who had investment from the U.S. youth teams. Greg brought him in. He was able to play for the U.S. over the Netherlands because of that brotherhood and that environment. I think about Yunus Musa being eligible for four different countries and choosing the U.S. And you can see how important he was for the U.S. in this World Cup. And I just have to include that. Like, realistically, you do have to include his recruitment of dual nationals and quad nationals uh, that are important parts of this team. I think you have to consider what he's done to, like he set out to change the way the world views U.S. soccer. And I actually think he's done that much more (laughs) internationally than within the U.S. Um, And you can take that for however you want. But being in England for two, two and a half years, watching a lot of these outlets praise the U.S. team and especially Greg Berhalter, I really do think like, we must be living in a twilight zone as U.S. fans if we can at least give some credit to Greg about where this team is. Yes, he met my expectations. Yes, the bare minimum for me being happy in this World Cup was making the round of 16. But there were so many other things along the way that, whether it's in recruitment or there were times where I really questioned if the environment or the quote-unquote brotherhood was a real thing or if that was just kind of talk to give us fans something to hang on to and latch on to. But you can actually see throughout this World Cup, especially how how important that environment was and how real it was. And I think about um, questions that Christian Pulisic was asked in some of his press conferences about the pressure that he feels. And if he feels the pressure because he's a Chelsea number 10 to come to the U.S. camp. And his answers are really just I feel much less pressure when I'm with this U.S. team. I feel much happier and much more free with this U.S. team. And those answers are a validation to me of what this environment is. And the last thing I'll say on this topic, maybe it's not necessarily about Greg Berhalter, but the reason why I'm not feeling, I I think this is why, one of the reasons why I'm not feeling really upset right now is because I actually feel worse for the guys on the team like I know that they cared I know that they wanted to do everything in their power to get to to make this country proud and they have done like I am very proud of this team this team is people there are 26 players that you can root for easily on any given day and that to me like that makes me feel so much better about the result honestly that I know that they cared about this. They're going to leave today thinking about how they can go on a revenge tour in 2026 and in the four years prior to make us more proud, um, to fight for U.S. soccer and to make a name for U.S. soccer and to put us on the map. Like That's what I'm taking away from this World Cup. And that's why I'm not, that's why I'm not in mourning right now. <laughs> like I actually have to give some of my my mental effort and energy to feeling sorry for these players because I do feel sorry for them as people. Yeah. I I think that that's exactly right. I think this has been my takeaway from this whole cycle is I used to really like watching the United States men's national team play, but then like this crop came along and there's such great people and great guys. And 
Greg Berhalter's fostered this environment that makes it really easy to root for these guys. He's created these camp environments that are just fun and a group of players who just really care about the team and about playing for their national team and enjoy it. And that's just makes for a really fun thing to follow and thing fun, you know, reason to follow this team. I am just really grateful for that. And I do feel bad for this team. I I really am crushed for each of the players because they deserve so much more. And I think they can do it. Yeah. And Tom, now like thinking about this team and looking back at this world cup with hindsight being 2020, is there anything you would have changed? Like given the England result didn't really matter. Would you have rested some players? What, what would you have changed now looking back at this four games? So mathematically pragmatic, Tom, always is in favor of resting for, you know, saving your legs for bigger games. I would have probably done that back then. But knowing what we know now, and just having watched these Greg Berhalter teams go, I think that would have been a mistake. Not because, you know, we would have lost our legs or anything, or we would have, uh, you know, had, we have less energy now than we would have had if we had done that. But just because, the mentality that Greg Berhalter plays with, the Greg, the the way that he instills confidence in this team, the draw against England was so much more mentally important than losing their legs or being a little bit more tired for a run in the Netherlands. Greg needed to show them that they could play with any team in the world. And I think you see saw them leaving that England game just filled with the confidence that they could play with any team in the world. And in the end, I think that that is so much better for this group of players than just about anything you could do with it for them is making them believe in themselves and allowing them to get that chance to have a draw against England to sort of hang on their resume and point to and say, guys, we can do this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I see some comments and Greg Berhalter is going to be a figure that is polarizing, right? Like he, he has been our coach through, the most talented team he's he's brought us to a round of 16 which is not the farthest that we've ever gone in a world cup it's not even the farthest that greg berhalter went as a player <laughs> in the world cup um to me this is actually kind of the perfect thing to happen for every fan involved on either side of this polarizing figure because i think getting to the round of 16 and bouncing out to the netherlands means that greg will not be the coach going forward And at the same time, for people that want to appreciate a little bit of the contributions that Greg has provided, we can at least feel like we can leave with a head held high. Do you do you agree with that? I I do. I I sort of I don't know. I wouldn't be upset if Berhalter sticks around for another four years. I I don't know if he will or not. I think that he's done enough. (laughs) But I get I I get where you're coming from. I mean, it's hard to argue with the results. My worry with bringing in a new manager is that if that manager is not able to get along with the players, if they are not able to instill that culture, then our floor could drop. I don't think Berhalter is able to reach the ceiling that we want him to be able to reach. But my worry is that our floor with him is very high. And if our floor goes lower, then this could just not be very fun going into 2026. I I don't know if that's sort of the wrong mentality to take or if I've just been watching too much college football where coaching (laughs) hires often – are awful and you sort of can easily take an eight and four team and turn them into a three and nine team with the wrong coaching hire. But yeah, I, 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 I'm sort of struggling with how to 
put this because I think Greg coached a fantastic tournament. I think you have to give him a B plus, A minus, A for his grade for the tournament, even if today wasn't the best result. And he's got so many achievements under his belt as the U.S. Uh, with the U.S. that it's just sort of hard for me to sort of definitively say we can do better. I agree in part with that, but at the same time, I really trust this group of players to make sure that the floor that is there now for this team stays there, no matter which coach comes after Greg. I trust Mm -hmm. Tyler Adams. I trust uh, Christian Pulisic. I trust if it's Walker Zimmerman or Tim Ream, we now have some elder statesmen. We have 26 players now with World Cup experience. And if they didn't see the field, at least they were there for the experience. Um, I have to give Greg one grade minus for not playing Joe Scally or not uh, having Gio Reyna play a bigger part in this tournament. But at the same time, getting out of the group, having zero goals scored on us in the run of play, that was such a great result for us. And again, really put us on the map. But then to come into this game against the Netherlands and give up three goals in the run of play, all looking very the same, like, For me, getting out of the group and where we were and what Greg's performance was as a coach, I would have said absolutely B plus, A minus. But after this game, I'm more going B minus, C plus. I don't know. I'm just having a very hard time putting this game on him because I think if we do everything right, we still lose that game 2-1. I just don't think that Christian Pulisic's goal goes in and the game plays out very differently. I still think we give up two goals late. I just don't think that in any scenario that there is a way where we had the legs to run with the Netherlands for 90 minutes today. I think there were physical limitations that we just couldn't overcome. So I'm just having a really hard time putting this result on Burhalter, even if we could have done, done a little bit better. I was sort of talking with people today about sort of the margins that sort of happen when you maybe change a couple of names deeper down the roster or when you change the tactics up a little bit. I think that if we change up the margins, you maybe get to 2-2. But 30 more minutes and extra time were going to be a bloodbath for us. We didn't have the legs to go 30 more minutes. It just sort of feels like most scenarios that we play out, the physical limitations on the roster just caught up to us today. And that's just not on Greg. I mean, I have to in part agree with you. Like Having Christian Pulisic miss that opportunity early on in the first two minutes Tim Ream had a chance right in front of goal. Haji Wright had a breakaway that he didn't get to. Haji Wright also had a gift of a goal given to him, and he took it wide with his first touch and then scored on the ensuing play on a freak uh, redirection. So it isn't like Greg completely botched this game. I, I completely agree with you in that sense. But there, I think what I'm kind of struggling with when I look at Greg's entirety of his his coaching career for the U.S. men's national team is how many times he has not given us the best chance at success in a game and I think this is another one of those where it it was a game on the margins if you look at the expected goals 1.67 for the Netherlands and 1.49 for the U.S. like this had 1-1 or 2-2 written all over it Um, Some of that's game state, though. The Netherlands have been doing this all tournament where they just take their spots and, you know, they score low XG chances and then they turtle. So, you know, part of that is going to be game state, but I I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I'm I'm more just saying, like, 
it's hard for me to put that on Greg when like in, in 10 opportunities to play this exact same game, we probably tie three of them and win two of them. And the Netherlands wins five. Um, I think that's a pretty fair result from this, but three, one is not a great score line for the U S to go out on. It looks worse than I think it was. We made it a game later on in that second half. Um, One thing I want to ask you your opinion on, because I have a very strong opinion on this, Gio Reyna came in for Jesus Ferreira in that second half, and the substitutes were a lot better performing for the U.S. than in the first three games of the group stage. I thought for Greg, the substitutes is where I would have uh, kind of given him some negative marks throughout the group Mm -hmm. stage. But in this match, taking Jesus Ferreira off after 45 minutes and putting Gio in, Gio, I thought, did incredibly well to get into the game to play against world-class center backs and to get us back into the attacking third but what were your takes on Gio Reyna and the substitutes that Greg made in this match it's gonna be a weighted one because like if Gio Reyna is healthy he should have been playing more he should have been getting 30 minutes a game but I just was he healthy it just seems like there's no way that he was actually healthy why do you say that I can't see, there's not a single soccer reason for him not to have played more. And, you know, I, I just wonder, I, there were reports he might have tweaked something in the warm-up game, and he's, of course, going to say he's healthy. But is is there more to this story? Because it seems like there's got to be for it to make any sense for me. And that sort of changes yeah. my opinion a lot, is did we buy 45 minutes of Geo today because we saved him for an extra week to sort of give him some recovery? Or were we just sort of saying the game state was not one that called for Gio Reyna, even though I think most game states do call for Gio Reyna, in my opinion? Yeah. And while I would have liked to see Joe Scallion for uh, Serginho yeah. Des, DeAndre Edlin played well. I, yeah, I think that has to be said. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think... Joe Scally makes more sense for me right now in the more defensive see out a game role. Burhalter doesn't agree with me, but yeah, I, I don't know. Joe, Joe Scally for CGD of Dest is not going to change that game. Yeah. All right, Tom, we've spoken about this match and the future for 40 minutes. You want to wrap it up with your thoughts on this match and the world cup for the U S I, I think that you have to leave with your head held high. Um, we, set out to change the way the world views American soccer. And I think we, at least in part, did that. We played our game for four games. When you watch old World Cups, when you watch the 2017 cycle, we didn't do that. We sort of sat back and sort of played these sort of counterattacking games where we had very little possession and we just sort of picked a few spots to go forward. And today we played, or this World Cup, we played beautiful soccer. That's... That's something to hang our hat on. That's something that we can be proud of. We have arrived on the world stage, even though we're not where we want to be yet. So let's just look forward to the future. Yeah, totally with you. Um, Everyone in the comments, drop in below the grade on an (laughs) A to F scale that you think the U.S. did. Not Greg Berhalter, not the team, but everyone together. Drop your grades in the chat. Um, Again, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone that has watched these videos, that has listened to our podcast. If you could do us a huge favor to help us out and you're encouraged by this and want to continue to watch this U.S. team develop, 
If you want to cover U.S. women's soccer, there is a World Cup next year. Um, make sure to subscribe to this channel and give us a positive rating on the podcast wherever you're listening to this now. Um, I'm I'm with you, Tom. I'm going out with my head held high. I'm proud of this team. I love this squad. I can't wait to see how they develop in the next four years. I don't think Greg is the coach that I want leading them, but at the same time, these 26 players and beyond, I think about Gianluca Busio. I think about uh, Tanner Testman. I think about all these players that um, are going to be huge players if they develop. Alex Mendez. There's countless others that are in Europe now moving ahead. Um, Fuller and Balligan, I hope you choose the U.S. We need a striker. We need a number nine. And you will be get, a you hero. Know, yeah. We're um, getting you good news there soon. I, I, I feel it. All right. Tom feels it. But that is my last word. It's just a thank you to all of you guys that have been here uh, throughout the tournament. The tournament's not over as well. I think what I would like to say to all of you is that to me, this feels like the end of the beginning. It is not the end of the end for this U.S. team. There is so much more to be thankful for and looking ahead to. And this tournament is still going on. We are in the yeah. round of 16. There are still teams to root for. Maybe a consolation prize for us is that the Netherlands wins their first World Cup and we would have lost to the winners of the World Cup. We'll see. Um, yeah. Tom, do you have any last words for everyone? I just, you know, I hope that you don't tune out now that the World Cup's over. What makes the World Cup fun is as a celebration after sort of four years of watching these guys play. A new cycle is just getting started. We're about to see a hundred new names come into the picture. And it'll just be a lot of fun to sort of see how things change over time. There's a lot of great communities to get in and just enjoy this team with. There's a lot of fun ahead, whether it's a Gold Cup or a CONCACAF Nations League or even maybe winning a Copa Copa America, which would be hilarious. Um, So stay engaged, stay involved and you know, don't lose hope. There is more down the pipeline for this federation and for specifically this group of guys. And don't I don't want anyone to miss it. This is the worst that we will be in the next <laughs> 10 years. So yes. strap in, <laughs> get your seatbelt on because it is going to be a great time to watch this team develop. And I hope that they have captured your attention and your imagination in this World Cup like they have us. Um Tom, this is our first U.S. soccer loss at a major tournament since starting the podcast and the the channel a year and a half ago. That's kind of crazy. Our to luck think didn't about. run. <laughs> I know it's amazing. That's just, the run that we've been on since we started this podcast is truly spectacular. And I'm really we we picked the best time to start this, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Uh, Gabrapinda. It's called Dutch football. The Dutch team played a great game. It's GG's all over for me. Uh, tons mm-hmm. of respect for this Netherlands squad. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you for giving us a game. It was awesome to watch. But Jake, um, who are you rooting for going forward? I I gotta feel like I w- I want to see Messi win one. I'd love to see the Netherlands win. Um, otherwise, just anyone, anyone but England. <laughs> I will say. Uh, <laughs> I live there again for two and a half years. Their fans are insufferable. I'm sorry to <laughs> all of my English fans that are watching. I really do apologize, but uh, it is not coming home this year. And I hope for anyone else, but yeah, Netherlands or Argentina would be great. Um, I'd love to see Japan or South Korea make a deep run in the tournament. I love to see some underdogs, some good games. That's really what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for some good games. 
What about yeah. you, Tom? Do you have a team? So my um, uh, one of my great friends from my master's degree uh, a year above me at New Mexico Tech is an Argentine uh, support, Argentina supporter from Argentina, and she was so passionate about soccer, and we had two great years of like chatting about it and like watching games together. And so I'm definitely like hopping on Argentina's bandwagon. I'll never forget watching the Copa final with her last year and just how much it meant to her and seeing how much it means to the country of Argentina that they do well with Messi. So I'm definitely hopping really hard on the Argentina bandwagon now. Awesome. Well, speaking of communities, we do have a Discord where you can discuss everything U.S. soccer and World Cup, World Soccer related. Uh, that link is down below in the description of this video. Also, the leagues, the club soccer is coming back in a few weeks. We will obviously be there. This this bus does not stop here. <laughs> we will be there to cover everything in the World Cup going forward. We will be there to cover all of club soccer and the U.S. boys and girls now. Uh, women's World Cup is coming up next next summer. Olympics. So many things to look forward to. So thank you guys all for watching. And we will see you next time on It's Called Soccer. Peace. See you guys. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save